This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. The legal nonprofit Our Children's Trust was formed about a dozen years ago with one big goal, to bring suits on behalf of young people to force federal and state governments to address climate change. The group has brought suits in all 50 states in addition to a high-profile federal case in Oregon. But only one of those suits has gone to trial. It was in Montana. And this week, it's Young Plaintiffs won. Matt Dos Santos is a managing attorney at Our Children's Trust and joins us to talk about both this Montana case and the other cases that are still going forward. Welcome back to Think Out Loud. Thanks for having me on. Every state case and the federal cases you filed, they have their specific details about those states' laws or constitutions. But can you remind us what the overall legal theory or strategy is behind all of your work? What unifies it? Sure. Our Children's Trust was founded in uh, 2010 uh, to bring cases on behalf of youth against their governments for their roles in promulgating the fossil fuel industry and the harms that come out of that industry, um, like climate change. Um, All of our cases are based on constitutional principles, and they're all based on the best available science, uh, which is frankly one of the things that really unifies all of our cases and makes them distinct. But why governments? I mean, what's what is the the broad argument that says that governments are an entity that can and should be sued? Yeah. So, I mean, I love this question because people always think about the fossil fuel industry. And of course, there are ongoing suits against the fossil fuel industry, um, some of which are brought by youth right here locally. Um, but when you think about it, the government plays a fundamental role in all of the fossil fuel infrastructure. It says okay to every new project that gets put into the ground, gets developed here in Oregon or you know in other states. And so the, the government, in some ways, is primarily responsible for every fossil fuel project that we see that, that, that comes on, online. So just to be clear, we're not talking about a state. You're not saying a state should say to its residents, you can't burn fossil fuels. What you're saying is states have to consider the impact, say, of drilling or fossil fuel projects um, on its citizenry. Yeah, that's exactly right. Governments are responsible for the big picture, and governments have to play a role in transitioning our communities from fossil fuels to sustainable energy like wind, water, and solar. Why focus on young people for these cases? I mean, a a 90-year-old is impacted by climate change uh, in that on a, a given day, just as much as a nine month old. So, um, well, so I agree that a 90-year-old is impacted on any given day by climate change, and sometimes in, in really severe ways, right? Like around severe heat. Um, but but uh, young people, um, which uh, are, are very unique in that their bodies and brains are still forming, and uh, extreme heat, air pollution, a lot of the things that we see as impacts of climate change are um, young people are uniquely susceptible to them. And those uh, harms that happen to their young developing bodies can then continue and have worse health outcomes for them throughout their entire lives. So when they're 90, they would be even more susceptible to climate change than a 90 year old today. All right, so let's 
turn to the Montana case. How was this the first state case to even go to trial? As I mentioned in my intro, we're talking about 50 cases. You've, your group has brought these cases in every state in the country. This is the only one that's gone to trial. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, I often think about that myself, too. Like, how is this possible? And um, it's it's really remarkable. But one of the things that I, I like to think about is, um, you know, the, the arc of these cases. And really, when you think about any big civil rights case like same-sex marriage or desegregation, those cases started, um, you know, 50 years before we finally had a federally recognized right or 40 years in the case of same-sex marriage. And so I think it just takes time. And in Montana, I think, uh, like, for better or for worse, um, you had a government that was uh, denying all the impacts of climate change, really denying that humans cause climate change at all, um, and taking really egregious actions like prohibiting agencies from considering the impacts of climate change uh, when they were permitting a new power plant. Um, so uh, the judge in this case, uh, I think, rightly decided that this case needed to go to trial. Well, before we get to those specifics, I mean, what actually prevented other state cases from going to trial? I think that there's a lot of things that, um, well, so I think that there are some legal things that the the various states relied on as defenses in these cases. Um, probably one of the ones that was most regularly relied on is this idea that this this is too big of a question for a, a, a court to handle. Um, and I mean, this, this shouldn't be brought here. Take this up at the federal level. This is this is not our business broadly. Um, it, it's it's even sort of a little bit different than that. They're saying that we shouldn't decide this; the legislature should, or you know, the executive branch should. Which really, to me, is um, baffling because when you think of some of the biggest problems that society faces, the courts have stepped in and played a fundamental role in resolving them. Like the courts didn't fix segregation problems in the South that required efforts from all branches of government and the population, but they started the process by declaring the right. So we need courts to participate in this process just as much as we need the legislature and um, the executive branch. And when courts sort of hand their power over to uh, the legislature or the executive branch, I think that's a really big disservice to our democracy. Hmm. The Montana case centers on a provision in that state's constitution, which is uh, not unique, but very unusual in in the, the 50 state constitutions. What does it say? So the provision that I think you're talking about is um, both in Article 9 and Article 2 of uh, Montana's constitution, and that's the constitutional right to a clean and healthful environment. Um, what makes Montana was, I mean, it was truly just this wonderful place to litigate this is that this constitutional provision was written when Montana rewrote their constitution in the early 1970s. And so at trial, we were able to call as a witness the um, author of that provision to ask her, um, who was the youngest delegate to the Montana constitution at that time, what she meant 
when she wrote those words. Um, and it was, uh, I mean, it was a remarkable moment in trial to hear her talk about how she, as a young person, was trying to protect Montana's environment for future generations. The language is actually pretty striking. I'm going to read it here. It's not that long. It says this, the state and each person shall maintain and improve a clean and healthful environment in Montana for present and future generations. The legislature shall provide for the administration and enforcement of this duty. And the legislature shall provide adequate remedies for the protection of the environmental life support system from degradation and provide adequate remedies to prevent unreasonable depletion and degradation of natural resources. So that's what is in the Constitution of Montana since 1972. But Montana lawmakers earlier this year, they limited the ways in which greenhouse gas emissions can be considered during the approval process for for energy and mining projects. What did they say just this year? So uh, it actually started in 2011 when they amended um, some of their statutes to exclude any consideration of impacts of something like a coal mine. So coal mine, they're obviously going to have impacts there locally, but then the air pollution that they emit will have impacts beyond the state of Montana. They limited uh, the agencies who were reviewing those permits from considering any of the impacts beyond the immediate impacts. Um, then in 2023, they further amended it to expressly um, exclude climate change from from consideration when reviewing fossil fuel permits. This is now known as the, the MEPA or Montana Environmental Protection Act limitation. What did your plaintiffs, what, what did you and the young people you represent, what did you argue uh, about these limitations? Well, you know, we argued that they were unconstitutional based on the provision that you just read, um, and also that they were um, they went further than that as constitutional violations. That they violated the youth plaintiffs' rights to dignity, to health and safety, um, and to equal protection under the laws. And um, you know, the Judge Seeley and her magnificent 103-page, very detailed order uh, agreed with us across the board. What kinds of counter-arguments did the state of Montana put forward? So early on in the case, the state seemed to be defending like rather vigorously. Um, uh, you know, they put on, up arguments like the one I said earlier, which was like, this case shouldn't be in court at all. Um, they also argued that while climate change might be happening, that it isn't human caused. They argued that the plaintiffs, um, you know, they weren't being injured or it could, we couldn't show that their their harm was because of what the state was doing. Um, and, you know, Judge Seeley soundly rejected all of those arguments after we put on a week of robust evidence coming from some of the world's leading scientific experts and had um, nearly all of the plaintiffs take the stand and testify about how they were being harmed. The judge wrote this, Montana's greenhouse gas contributions are not de minimis, a, a, a legal term meaning minimal or, or uh, you know, minimal, um, but are nationally and globally significant. I was struck by this because I guess I'm wondering how important this is to you legally. You've brought suit in all 50 states and some have bigger fossil fuel impacts than others by virtue of population or what's underground in those states. I thought your argument was that 
it just it doesn't matter how big your footprint is. You still have the um, the requirement. You have to take this into account for our collective future. I guess what I'm wondering is why should it matter if a state has a big footprint or a little one? Yeah, and so I think you're right that at the at its core, it doesn't matter because. And Judge Seeley also said that every additional ton of carbon dioxide that goes into that atmosphere harms the plaintiffs and has the potential for like long lasting catastrophic harms to everyone. Um, And so she's saying, you know, really, it doesn't matter. But the state was really trying to say, oh, there's nothing to see here. Even if Montana changes, they won't, it won't matter. Um, it won't ma- have a big enough uh, impact. And what we were able to show, um, this you know, brilliant uh, expert, um, Pete Erickson, talked about how when you look at Montana, you can see just how big of an impact Montana has for such a small state and population such a small population. Be- because of its, its fossil fuel holdings. That's right. And, and they have one of the largest uh, you know, coal reserves in the world. A spokesman for the Montana Attorney General says that they're going to appeal this decision. But let's let's fast forward to a possible future where an appeals court there or the state Supreme Court says, yes, this this ruling stands. What would that actually mean in terms of the the siting of future fossil fuel projects? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think in in that that world actually is happening now because there is no stay to the the this order the judge could have issued a stay while there was any potential appeal and she did not um so uh so it takes effect immediately and what i think it means is that the state now has to do several things right it has to consider the impacts of climate change um which you know it had it previously excluded in that statute that was struck as unconstitutional um it also has to consider the um harms to plaintiffs right the harms to young people in montana and it has to decide whether in whether to when it it permits or not a fossil fuel project whether that project would violate their constitutional rights and this right to a clean and healthful environment i'm slightly confused about this i mean because is striking down a law that forbids the state from taking emissions into account the same as requiring state agencies to take emissions into account? Yeah, sure. That, I, I can see why that would be confusing. And I think in this instance, it does require that they take it into account because of the way that the order is written and that she said that that exclusion made it so you couldn't consider climate change. And we had testimony um, from state actors who said, if that exclusion hadn't existed, they would have taken it into account. And they had prior to 2011. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now about the legal win this week for young plaintiffs in Montana. They sued successfully to overturn a law that said the state could not take greenhouse gas emissions into account when considering, say, mining or energy projects. The suit was brought by the Oregon-based legal nonprofit Our Children's Trust. Matt Dos Santos is our guest, the managing attorney at Our Children's Trust. The founder and legal director of your nonprofit, Julia Olson, she said in a press release that this ruling is, quote, a game changer that marks a turning point in this generation's efforts to save the planet from the devastating effects of human-caused climate chaos. But as we talked about earlier, this is 
a, a one specific ruling in one very specific state case that has its own constitution and its own set of state laws. So how can it have a broader impact? So uh, I, as you can imagine, I completely agree with Julia that this is just a landmark event. Um, I think that this case will be, I mean, I know it's being looked at by legal uh, minds across the world right now, including courts that are considering other cases that are somewhat similar in nature. Um, the And even if this particular case is only binding in Montana, right, like courts look at each other's decisions all the time. And again, going back, just taking a moment to think about the history of our country and our big civil rights struggles. Um, you know, Thurgood Marshall took cases to state Supreme Courts in Texas before he took desegregation cases to the federal Supreme Court. So often they have huge ramifications. State courts have huge ramifications on what federal courts do. And of course, what the United States does has huge global ramifications. Are you are what you're talking about is, is what you're talking about as much about kind of, kind of non-legal momentum, so societal shifts, as it is about a, a clear judicial precedent? I mean, are you talking more about the arc of of the social world as opposed to the legal world? Yeah, I, I think I am talking about both the what I would think of as the arc of justice and um but I am also I talking st- about I think the legal I stopped world. myself from saying that. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I'll say it for you. Um, the, you know, I, I think we're talking about uh, like a watershed moment for society at large, but we're also talking about a really clearly articulated opinion by this smart judge who lays out all of the facts that the plaintiffs testify about, that the scientific evidence shows, and then makes a legal decision that I think is really like unrefutable. Uh, and I think that courts will look at it as persuasive authority. What about state-based activists who might look at Montana's constitution and say, hey, I'd like that too. My, my understanding is that that language that I read earlier, something like that is only in three state constitutions total, two others. Like Pennsylvania, I think, has it and maybe another. Can you imagine a movement where language like that um, is uh, that there's an effort to to inject that in state constitutions around the country. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I truly hope that um, folks are motivated and mobilized by this decision to um, add what people sort of call green amendments to their state constitutions where that's possible. I think it will, it's another tool in the toolbox for combating climate change in the courts as well as like in the streets. Um, but beyond that, I think that lots of constitutions do have other provisions that, um, you know, obviously we're, we're bringing suits in other states right now, including Hawaii and Virginia and Utah. Um, and, uh, and not all of them have this exact same language, but we believe that there's other language in the Constitution. But fundamentally, and I think Judge Seeley is really clear about this in her Montana order, this this idea that a stable climate needs to exist is underpinning all of our fundamental constitutional rights. Because how do you have life, liberty, safety, happiness, if um, you're, you know, faced with devastating fires, with air you can't breathe, with water that you can't drink. Um, so uh, for for us, 
it's a fairly simple argument, which is that in order to understand any of our constitutions in our constitutional democracy in the United States, you have to understand this underpinning fundamental right. Even if it doesn't have some particular state constitution language like Montana's that literally mentions the phrase environmental life support system. Exactly. Um, you mentioned some of those other state cases that are still going forward. Uh, Hawaii among them. Top of mind, I think, to a lot of people right now as we're still learning more about the devastation on Maui. Um, where does that case stand right now? So we just got a scheduling order from the judge, and that case is scheduled to go to trial starting in late June of next year. So right now we're in the middle of discovery, um, uh, talking to the state agencies, um, gathering evidence of, of you know what we say is the harms that they are causing through um, not upholding their promises to Hawaiian youth. Um, and, and that case is really interesting, too, because it's slightly different. It's, it's going to be the first case that looks at greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector as opposed to power generation, which is what we were really looking at in Montana. Why make that switch? That, that, that's a kind of um, a, a different strategy in a sense. Yeah. Well, both the energy and transportation sectors, depending on what state you look at, are the largest contributors to greenhouse gas emissions. And um, in Hawaii, it was really clear that the Hawaiian government laid out some promises to its people, um, both through statute and constitutional uh, principles, that it wasn't upholding with specifically to the transportation sector. I want to turn to the federal case, the, the Juliana case that we have talked about um, a couple times over the years, but not for a little while. And I got to say, I I thought it was dead. Um, and then I, I turned out I, I was wrong. Uh, this is a suit that was filed in Oregon, a federal suit, eight years ago. So what is the latest on this case? Yeah, so uh, this is just tremendously exciting, which is, Juliana, we, we filed a motion a couple of years ago um, after the Ninth Circuit decision that I think a lot of people kind of misunderstood as ending the case. Um, to amend our complaint and just to address some of the things that the Ninth Circuit said could not be brought in the complaint. Um, that for reasons unbeknownst to me, um, uh, it the the decision around our our motion to amend didn't get decided until just earlier this year, um, and now we're back on course uh, for trial. Um, we could potentially go to trial as early as the end of this year or early next year in Juliana. What would a trial mean? I mean, a trial in Juliana would be incredible. It would allow us to lay forth all of the evidence of you know these 21 young plaintiffs and how they've been harmed by the US government. It would allow us to introduce all of the scientific evidence that we introduced in Montana, but at a much broader scale, right? Because we'd be talking about the United States contributions to climate change as a whole. And um, I think it's essential for a case like this because as a court is evaluating somebody's constitutional rights, like they need to look at the facts that underlie these um, injuries that we're talking about in court. Is it fair to say that simply getting to put on, to take part in a federal trial would be for your organization its own kind of win? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think in the, you know, and I don't want to, I, I think 
a trial in Juliana would mean a win in Juliana. It is very, very hard for the government, as we can see in Montana, but I think it would still be equally as hard for the U.S. government to refute the ways that the government has knowingly furthered uh, climate change um, over the last, you know, many decades. Um, and uh, but, for, but really importantly for the youth involved, it's an opportunity to finally have their voices heard. And youth, but some of them are what, in their mid twenties now. Yeah, that's true. They're, they're still youth to me. <laughs> yeah, for me too. <laughs> Matt, thanks very much. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Matt Dos Santos is a managing attorney at the Oregon-based legal nonprofit, Our Children's Trust.